Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show with your hosts, Ty Braga, Scott Ferrara, and Rob Hammerschmidt, who tackle the tough topics relating to Major League Rugby in the US and Canada. This is your premier source of information. You are listening to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Welcome Major League Rugby fans for one more episode of the Major League Rugby Rant podcast show. My name is Ty Braga. Joining me here today, we have Rob Hammerschmidt from Hammer TV. Then in your top left-hand corner, we've got the big guy, Scott, from the Rooney Supporters Club. And for the first time, joining us from across the pond, all the way from Wales, we have Brandon Smith. He too is also a YouTuber when it comes to rugby. And we've invited him here today to join us for this segment where we are going to discuss, is the USA ready to host a Rugby World Cup? This has been a hot topic and it is, of course, a favorite for people to be able to talk about because it is an exciting opportunity. It is a wonderful venture. But a couple of things before we jump in it today. I wanted to give our viewers a few uh, ideas of what would be a measurement of success when it comes to the Rugby World Cups. Now, naturally, we've just had a great success with Japan, not only on the field, but of course, economically, what it managed to do for the country uh, was a great achievement. And this has to be one of the key points when we talk about hosting a Rugby World Cup. So here's a couple of important points to be able to note about that Japan World Cup back in 2019. So it had, for the country of Japan, managed to be able to increase the gross domestic product of the entire country by $2 billion plus through one event. Now, how they broke that down, interestingly enough, $343 million was through ticket revenue alone. That is phenomenal numbers. And when we look at going even beyond that, each one of the people attending the events most likely came from somewhere else, given that it's a World Cup event. And as a result, $987 million was created and put into the country through travel and accommodation and, of course, associated hospitality with that travel. So these are amazing numbers, and it makes it a very attractive product for any country to be the host. And when we look at some successful hosts, we have to be able to recognize what's in it for them. So many people won't understand, but it is, of course, a partnership between the host nation and that of World Rugby. That partnership has then meant that they share this pool. However, it's not exactly an even split when it comes to revenue. Quite simply, 
to be able to break it down to its layman's understanding, the host country will be able to keep all the ticket revenue on the gate sales. However, the broadcasting rights and the sponsorship will go to World Rugby. What that meant is that Japan managed to be able to achieve 1.7 million in attendance. And as a result, it was a phenomenal booster for the Japan uh, Rugby Union. And of course, we've seen the, the fruitions and the benefits of that even in that tournament. So we're going to hand it to our panel of rugby nodals here today on the MLR rant. And we're going to swing it over for the first time out to Brandon. So Brandon, tell us what you think about is rugby ready to be able to be taken to a World Cup level in the U.S.? It's a really interesting question. Are the USA rug rugby ready for a World Cup? It is, it is a big question. Um, I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think they're ready now. Quite a few reasons behind it. I think you have to take a look at past experiences with Japan and the UK. Being from the UK, I witnessed the 2015 Rugby World Cup and the UK have everything ready for a World Cup. We had the stadiums, we had the culture, we had the fans. Everything was ready to go. Japan, you have to be honest, are probably a decade ahead of the USA in rugby terms at least. They have the clubs, they have the culture of fans going there and it's not competing with massive other sports as is the USA with the likes of baseball, basketball, American football. I think it'd be an incredible opportunity for the USA though to grow the game. We've seen the success of MLR, seeing what you guys are doing with the MLR rant, which is growing the fan base and we've seen how good rugby can be in the USA but unfortunately I think things such as stadiums, um, accessibility and the infrastructure is really going to be a massive struggle for the USA but I certainly think it's something that they can aim for but what they don't want is to end up like Brazil after the FIFA World Cup where they hosted that World Cup in 2014. Incredible. You're coming up on your two minutes Brandon. I'm keep going. I'm keep going. I've got good points. <laughs> First time and he's ready to take that yellow. It's like two minutes. It's just been the kickoff, bud. <laughs> you know, but, we give out a trophy each week, right? <laughs> All right, but, keep going, but I'm going to hand it out to you already. That's a yellow. One more and you got a red and you're out for a round, my friend. I'm going to the bin. It's okay. <laughs> um, but no, you, you look at Brazil and the problem with Brazil was they built all these incredible stadiums and yet there isn't a succession plan for those stadiums. There, there isn't a plan there and USA need to ensure that if they are going to go build these stadiums because at the minute the MLR stadiums are simply not big enough for pool games, let alone knockout games or final games. So they have to have a plan in place that the USA rugby are going to be able to use these stadiums to grow rugby in the USA and to help communities um, develop rugby teams and, and young players. Right. You bring up some excellent points there. And, uh, you know, about that infrastructure, it's about the culture. You know, there are so many things that are wrapped up into it. You can't just single out one because there really has to be a mix of all of these factors to be able to have that perfect melting pot of, of, of all the right combinations for it to take place. And that's why many countries sometimes take years to be able to prepare a successful bid. Now, I know that, Rob, you had some key points that you wanted to talk about with this well as well. So we're going to hand it over to you. Your two minutes starts now, Rob. So obviously, and yeah, you can tip your cups here, boys. Uh, I live in Chicago. Ding, ding, ding. 
And uh, we've had quite a few internationals here. I've talked about them in past podcasts. So I'm a big fan of bringing a World Cup here. It's on my bucket list. I want to go to a final before I die sometime, right? But that being said, we have some real challenges. I think there's opportunity here. The United States have hosted successful world sporting events. We've hosted Olympics. We've hosted the 1994 FIFA World Cup. We set attendance records uh, at that World Cup. Uh, obviously, we won't see those kind of numbers in the United States with rugby, but 11 million Americans tuned in to soccer, and and soccer was somewhat in the in the the the, the dregs of U.S. sporting culture at the time, and it brought it to the forefront. That's clearly what we want to do with rugby. 96% of the stadiums were filled during that World Cup, but I think as as Brandon rightly pointed out, there are some challenges with infrastructure. Um, and and some venue issues. Um, it's like there's a dearth between some of the uh, MLS stadiums and uh, the NFL stadiums. And one of the things I've always been saying is that um, only half of the 32 NFL stadiums have grass. And how many of those actually have the dimensions when you spread it out to fit a rugby stadium necessary to host a, a, a rugby World Cup? on those pitches. That's quite a challenge. And then we usually play in the fall for the Rugby World Cup. How are you going to contend with uh, putting a sem two semifinals and a final potentially at the same location for successive weeks? It's a pretty tall order. Finally, keep this in mind, ranters. You're going to be going over your time as well, bud. Okay, because this is an important point <laughs> that I don't want our We're fans to referee here. There's no respect <laughs> here today. Not today. Um, it's, it's this. Japan submitted their bid. In 2008, they were awarded the Rugby World Cup for 2019. They'd actually submitted it for 2015. So what that means is they planted the seed. In order to get the 2031 World Cup, we would have to plant that seed now. And right. given, given USAR's financial state right now, we are nowhere close to being able to do that. Not even a bit. I'd love to see it in the future but I don't see it in 2031. Well, let me ask you this, Rob. Would you be as bold to be able to offer a prediction as to how long it could take? What would be the first possible World Cup legitimate bid that they honestly had an opportunity at? 2039. Okay. 2039. So we, we've got to get out of long road ahead. Yeah, we've got to get out of this financial situation. I think it. we got five years of mismanagement of money right. got us in where we're at now. It'll probably take double that to get out of it. Right. And, then, and then to even think about putting in that bid. And we know that that's a seven, eight to 10 year process. Right. So you're actually even saying until 2031, we might still be struggling with the financial turmoil and that unfortunate legacy that I left behind with USA rugby. Yes. Okay. You know what? I also wanted to be able to touch on a couple of points that you brought up. In terms of infrastructure, seeing as we're on the topic and before we move away from it, there was a recent article from America's Rugby News that had identified what, in their mind, it would take to be able to host a Rugby World Cup in the U.S. And talking about venues, they had identified proposed venues from their point of view, what might be options for the, uh, the venue. It's also important to be able to understand that one of the uh, the important criteria to be able to host a rugby is that you have a rugby uh, stadium that for the final will be able to seat successfully with all the right infrastructure and all the right criteria saying of 60,000 plus. That's a minimum requirement. That's to meet the mark 
to be to have a successful bid. Of course, it does go well beyond that as well, but this is what they had proposed as venues. So for Boston, it was Fenway Park at 37 plus thousand people. New York, Yankee Stadium. Washington, D.C. was Audi Field at 20,000. Atlanta, Bobby, uh, Bobby Dodd Stadium at 55. So we still haven't reached 60,000. And that comes to my next point, and I'll take a ding on this one for the team. Chicago, Soldier Field, already proven to host international rugby matches. Now, they are at 61,500 in their capacity is the notes that are denoted here. So that's certainly by this judgment, that and also CenturyLink Field in Seattle, as the notes I'm reading at 68,000, could be possible World Cup final events. It does have a whole host of other venues in between, but no more than 40,000 in capacity. So certainly the infrastructure is there in the U.S., but it's not when it comes to rugby. So they would have to be able to cross over and work on some really great partnerships to be able to make that dream come true. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say two things really quick because I know the big guy has something to say here. It's this. Uh, I, I've been at the Chicago games, Ding, and uh, the end goal area was short. I don't know if I don't know if uh, World Rugby would be willing to shorten the goal area uh, in order to uh, fit a match of that size in Soldier Field. Uh, the mm -hmm. actual the best stadium in the in the country to be able to host this, as far as dimensions and as far as seating, is actually Nissan Stadium in Nashville, sixty nine thousand. And don't forget that they also host the MLR or is the MLS team plays there, so they have the pitch dimensions to play it, and it's grass. Right. That, that's an important point too, because we've all seen what happened at Vegas when the ball bounces twice, hits the post, and you score a try in the most peculiar way in, <laughs> in probably rugby history in America. Just pull the dagger out of Scott's back, would you? I know. I just <laughs> first, well, first well, of all, Vegas is different. Vegas, let's start. I'm not this isn't my part of my two minutes. Vegas is different. <laughs> think about it. Play. Okay, we'll give it yeah. to you. Think about when when Rooney plays at uh, at at, at um, Jesus Christ at MCU Park, they're playing on the grassy turf, and those bounces don't happen. So don't make it see. Don't make a play to oh because it's the grassy turf, you're always going to get that bounce. That only happens in Vegas, and everybody knows that. And now the right. MLR finally realized it. So I'll start my two minutes now. <laughs> I think uh, it's in November of 2020. You make your bid for 2027, 2031. USA does have the infrastructure to make it. Um, you have to realize uh, it will be a tough fit to schedule around certain areas. You have the NFL, you know, it goes from uh, the end of September all the way through. You have the NFL would be in the middle of their season. The MLS would actually be at the tail end of their season and going to the playoffs. So that means a lot of MLS venues would actually be available. Secondly, I think there's untapped potential in venues as far as colleges are concerned because it's mm -hmm. while it's the middle of college football, that doesn't mean that when a team's not playing a home game, they wouldn't be able to use a stadium. Now, again, this all is dependent on dimensions and can you fit a rugby pitch into some of these stadiums. Can't do it in Georgia. They have the hedges around the field. Might be able to do it in places like Michigan, Penn State. And Michigan and Penn State would meet those requirements being the biggest stadiums, uh, college football stadiums in the country. Um, and you also have places like Bristol. Uh, the track at Bristol had a, a, a two hundred, almost 200,000 people watching a college football game there. And they put a college football uh, field there. They can make a rugby pitch there 
at the dimensions because they just put a field there. They can remove it or extend it because it's it's not something that's naturally built around uh, uh, um, rugby. Anyway, average match attendance uh, in the 2019 World Cup was 30, uh, 38,000 per, and that includes the cup final all the way down to all the smaller matches. I think that's something that um, because it's not as uh, – the average is not as big as most NFL stadiums. You can find that in the infrastructure. Um, I do think it will be tough. USA would, if they win the bid, would be the only second would um, only be the second uh, non-traditional tier one team, non-tier one team to get a rugby uh, World Cup. Japan being the first. Um, I do think it's on fan base, but a lot of people come here to watch sporting events too. When the Olympics, when we do put on a successful, a successful Olympics, people from other countries come to watch. So. People, when 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 professional rugby teams come over here from the Prem or from the Pro 14, internationals come to watch. So while I think America's fan base might, might not be as excitable as Japan's fan base was, I do think we can get the people to come over here to see the games international. Well, you bring up a good point, though, is that uh, there's obviously a lot of people that will travel here to the U.S. It's uh, an easy place to be able to travel to. When you look at the fan base that comes from Europe, they wouldn't have the same visa restrictions that others might do from the Southern Hemisphere, like myself from South Africa. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, those are important factors. All of these things wrapped up into it. Uh, I just want to also uh, address another point that you have brought up about attendance for the, uh, the average attendance for the uh, Rugby World Cup in Japan. That also was minus three groups uh, games as well because of the, uh, the, the typhoon that unfortunate at and timing. Two- Two of those group games were actually in the smaller stadiums, so I think that average would have been less. Right. Oh, you might bring up a very good point there because it was the U.S. that had a game canceled, and I can't remember the other one, Italy. And Nevertheless, uh, the point still remains. But, yeah, so when you look at the U.S., it's it's easy to be able to get to. Um, when they get here, it's easy to be able to get around. It's not that vastly different in culture. That means that people are going to find it easily to to be able to acclimatize to it uh, gain access to to everything they need. The infrastructure for these, uh, the hospitality, travel, tourism, everything is there. If you can repurpose a lot of the existing stadiums that are in the U.S., it might also be one of the more cost-effective because not many countries, unless they have an incredibly great rugby culture already, has those stadiums ready and willing to go. Which is also you know, who would they have to think about who they would be competing again? Because at the end of the day, what they are presenting in a World Cup bid is a business plan. Hey, rugby fans, this is Ty Braga from the MLR Rant Podcast Show. A quick question to you out there. Want to be able to grow your business? Well, you can do that by advertising free with the MLR Rant Podcast Show, and here's how you can do it. Step one, to simply contact us to find out more. We'll share all the options available. Step two, choose the package that works for you. Step three, get it for free. That's right, we're going to give away a free episode for every sponsorship package. So let us know by contacting us at the MLR Rant Podcast Show. So I'd like to add two things. Number one, the nice thing about the United States being a host is you won't run into the typhoon issue. Uh, And what I mean by that is you may have some weather issues that hit uh, you know, Atlanta or or uh, perhaps Orlando if, if, uh, if pool play was to happen down there. But it's much easier than to move to a different part of the country to get out of the, the, the poor weather conditions, unlike Japan. They, they, they couldn't do much. Right? right. I mean, it's the whole islands that are, that are hit right. because it's, 
you know, so centralized. Uh, I actually bring out, uh, you bring up a, a thought into my mind is that locations. I mean, yeah. does it make sense to be able to talk about the MLRs, uh, you know, areas that they are have expanded to being those host cities? Absolutely. And, and that's another piece I was going to hit upon is, you know, su supposedly, Rugby world or the the world rugby draws the 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 uh, the pools right, but it would be ideal to look at your pools once they're established and say, okay, we're going to set up pools on the east coast that are easily accessed for European teams and European fans to follow their teams, Wales, uh, England, etc., and then set up some of the Pack Island and Australia, New Zealand, some of those teams up on the west, making it a little easier to come in once they come into the country, right. Um, and then the other thing is I think that if, if they work it right, uh, World Rugby could really work with USAR and strategically set up pools in cities, uh, not just like Chicago, but there are others. But Chicago is a great example. We have a 20,000-seat stadium in SeatGeek, and then you have a 60,000-seat stadium down there on the lakefront. So um, you can piggyback with some of the ML, MLS stadiums or MLR stadiums if they're big enough at that point. And you can host some pool plays and then easily host some of the bigger matches involving some of the tier one nations in that pool at the bigger venue, because that's what they did in Japan. The big teams played at Yokohama. France, uh, was it France and England played at Yokohama stadium. Right. Brandon, do you have any thoughts to be able to add on that? Yeah, I think what Rob says is really interesting about MLR because coming from the UK, I can tell you guys the world is watching MLR. The, the world is watching to see how it's doing and if it's been a success. Because we know what happened with pro rugby, which wasn't a success. People are watching Major League Rugby to see what is going on. So far, I'd say it's been a success. I'd say that people are impressed. I'm certainly impressed by the culture. I think that's going to be key if USA mm -hmm. won a Rugby World Cup. As Rob said, you've got to get it in the MLR cities. There's no point putting it where that culture hasn't grown, hasn't developed over time. There's no fans there. Yes, it can be great to get that initial burst, but is there that longevity? That's going to be key for the USA. Is that that longevity there for fans to think, okay, I can see a World Cup, but I can now go watch my team, my local team on a Saturday, and I've seen these boys play for the USA, and maybe I get a chance to see an All Black in there, or an Aussie in there, or an English international in there, or whatever. It's so key that they have that culture in place. Otherwise, the, the whole purpose of a Rugby World Cup, really, one, yes, is financially, of course, but it's to grow the game. You, it's just got to grow the game. We saw in Japan, and we want to see in the USA, but that culture is going to be key if this World Cup is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you bring up some, some, some good points there about the, the culture that surrounds it and makes sense for many of us. We believe that to start your, uh, uh, at the MLR uh, city, host cities, to be able to build from there. I mean, you know, the thing is, if you knew that 10 years from now that you were going to be hosting a Rugby World Cup match at any stage of the game, you would find that you would start galvanizing all the support. You know, there would be effort, concerted effort to be able to build the grassroots rugby because people want to be the best host that they can. And the one thing that I've learned about America in the short time that I've been here is that America loves America. So what that means is that they will get behind any team. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be like the Icelandic curling championships. But if there's a U.S. team there, they will support them. And that's one powerful thing that the U.S. will have over many other nations. Because 
I've seen it before that there is a split opinion when you look at the UK and England. You know, the fan base for all sports across the board can be split. But yet, you know, you, you manage to be able to galvanize uh, these communities across the globe. There's a heavy uh, presence of expats that live in the U.S. already that are from parts, other parts of the world that would obviously celebrate the idea of having a World Cup at home where they may have, as you so rightly pointed out, uh, uh, Brandon, the opportunity to see their, their home country uh, play uh, and their adopted nation too. Scott, I know that we can swing it over to you because I'm sure you've got a couple of extra points to be able to share with us. Well, I think uh, I just want to expand on Brandon's point of culture, rugby culture uh, in the United States. And, and it kind of goes into what Rob said at the beginning of his rant, where the uh, United States was a neophyte when it came to professional soccer when we hosted the World Cup. And for the fan, it was a disaster. Um, there wasn't a lot of fanfare for it. I think 10 years from now, there's going to be more fanfare for uh, uh, USA rugby and rugby in general, but I also know going to international matches and, and seeing the fanfare that we already have, that's something we can create. I think the biggest thing, and this is something I was reading about uh, the Japanese World Cup bid, was there was actually a lot of stadiums that did not bid to host rugby matches just because they didn't want to do it. So I think the biggest thing is if we get Rugby World Cup in 2031, that's great. I, that's great. But are we going to get USA Rugby to kind of really negotiate these contracts to get all these stadiums that we talk about that can expand to a rugby field, get them in the bid to be part of this thing? And maybe it's regional. Maybe you stay in the you know southwestern United States for it. Maybe you stay in the northwestern United States. Maybe you say, okay, <clears throat> we're going to have four quarters and you do the pool play that way and then bring it you know back to, to Glendale for some matches to, to, to bring it through. I think – until USAR gets its act together, do we really want them out front trying to get us this the, the, the Rugby World Cup? Right. Uh, do you trust, them to, to do you trust them to organize this? Yeah, that's, well, that's what I wanted to be able to bring up is that you would have to be able to find a partnership with the either the cities or sporting organizations. There has to be some other administration to be able to help them through this. Some work partnerships that they can actually really solidify a partnership that can take them through that 10 years because last thing you would want is to be able to receive the successful bid only to have it fail halfway through because you haven't thought that far ahead or the partnerships were weak yeah uh, absolutely i agree with you guys i think like um the, the one thing usa don't want to do is go for this world cup they host it and it's an absolute failure and, and it doesn't work because that will put rugby back 10 years in the usa people will remember that it failed and right you need to get people on board people need to be working together to get this sorted obviously you know usa rugby financially isn't in a great place at the minute and so financially it doesn't make sense to be thinking about this right now but if they are to think about it, people need to work together. You need to get investors involved. You need to get sponsorships involved. That takes time. And, you know, you look at the the World Cup in England, for me, was a success and a failure at the same time. I feel it's a success because Wales did well in it. We've knocked England out, which is always good fun. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't feel like the, the lasting effect of it really had much of an effect. And maybe because rugby is pretty established over here maybe that's why but i didn't feel like it had that much effect afterwards i don't see you know I, I don't really see that rugby's grown in the uk like 
soccer or football as I call it, um, is still the biggest sport by miles. You know, I don't mm. feel like rugby's grown that much. And how much would a how much would a World Cup really have an impact on the USA? Is there enough fans really to carry this through? Because the MLR needs to do a heck of a lot if it wants to have enough right. fans to carry this through. Real quick, well, I just I want to mention. Let me okay, just mention sorry, this. Rob, I'll give the floor to you. Uh, oh, sorry, Scott. That's okay. Let me just mention it's funny because I had an argument during the Rugby World Cup, and I said football, as you call it, is a is not a contact sport because in the United States it's not a contact sport. Um, a lot of people in the UK disagreed with me, and I think it's a mentality of culture. Rugby, quite like American football, is a contact sport. Most Americans like the contact and the contact sport. In the UK, they seem to take it almost as brutality, some people, um, and which is funny considering you have all these quote-unquote soccer hooligans and all that. So I think the culture of the violence is different in America, the way Americans take it. And I think that's something that will actually help uh, in, in a situation where rugby is now on the national stage in America. Yeah. I wanted to be able to circle back around to something that Brandon had mentioned in his last piece there. You had spoken about how you didn't really believe that the Rugby World Cup had added value to anything that could be seen as growing the sport. Um, and, you know, there are merits in saying that, absolutely, when you look at, you know, the same usual countries that are participating at this level, um, you know, and have they really advanced to, to new heights, except for Japan and maybe Uruguay, arguably so, with their defeat over Fiji. Um, but you could also argue was that the demise of Fiji rather than the rise of Uruguay. Yeah. Um, so nevertheless, I wanted to be able to talk a little bit about the finances, though, and talking about the growth opportunity, because we have to also understand that the Rugby World Cup is arguably so the third largest sporting event that the world knows, only behind the Olympics and that of the Soccer World Cup, FIFA uh, Football World Cup. So these are massive organizations that are tried and tested. They've been doing it longer and better than rugby, uh, world rugby has for quite some time. But we've steadily grown in that regard. If we just take one particular area of gig sales, in 1995 in South Africa, obviously it was still considered uh, mostly an amateur game at that point, so I kind of use that as the jumping off point to start our, our analysis. So ticket sales in total for the event was $15 million. 99 it had increased to 55 million, massive difference, right? And so it steadily increased all the way through where you have at 03 being 81, um, 07 being 147, slight dip in 2011 down to 131, and then in 2015, 250 million. So it almost doubled in that four-year gap. And then finally in 2019, as I mentioned earlier in the segment, 343 million. So there definitely is a growth, but this isn't necessarily meaning that it grows rugby in that country. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of leading back to your point, Brandon, is how useful a tool is the Rugby World Cup to grow rugby in the US, to be able to build grassroots rugby, and to substantially add value to USA rugby. Well, I think like what you're saying about uh, growing the game, I think if USA want to generally host a Rugby World Cup, they need to start now at grassroots. And they've been doing that with MLR, which is fantastic. And 
And um, what I love about MLR is that family feeling. You know, anyone can come, anyone can get involved. But they need to start at grassroots. So what is the path for a young child in the USA now to get to MLR? How can he succeed to do that? What is his rugby pathway? That needs to be something that people can generally see from grassroots level, from a five-year-old little boy playing at his local club. How can I get from here to maybe in 15 years' time be playing for the USA national team? Right. I hear you. So, Scott, what is your thoughts about the, uh, the Rugby World Cup being hosted by the US and what its benefits could be? We're going to ask for final thoughts on this round. Um. I think the benefit is, again, it puts the United States on a national stage for rugby. But we have to – the national team has to make that jump from bottom of a Tier 2 level after the 2019 up to a top Tier 2 or bottom Tier 1 level of rugby. Um, you know, we had a promising team in 2019 and it deflated off the gate. But, again, we, we talked about this weeks ago. I feel that the top-down leadership was, was, was not there. Um, so to, to – if you want to put the bid in and get it, you have to commit to saying 10 years from now, we will be a competitive team. Right. And that's what Japan did so perfectly is that they had laid the right foundation. They had invested in their rugby with uh, in the inclusion and the invention of the Sunwolves. Uh, they had a strategy and it paid off. Rob? Yeah, that's a great point, Scott. Um, I mean, look at look at what Japan did. They defeated uh, a top tier one nation in South Africa. Sorry, Ty. I apologize for bringing those bad memories up. Um, but but that 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 was a platform for success, right? The U.S. went o for what o for four in this world this last World Cup. You know, we've got to get oh, yeah. a couple of we got to get some wins and we got to get wins against teams we expect to beat and maybe nip one of the other, you know, top tier one nations, uh, you know, preceding uh, the World Cup we want to host in order to generate any interest. That being said, I think the MLR can play a critical piece. Hopefully it doesn't lose that personal touch because how great would it be for that a young kid watching the Rugby World Cup from the stadium and seeing the number eight or a prop or, or the fly half playing out there on the, on the international stage. And then lo and behold, that guy is, you know, in the clubhouse shaking the young, young boy's hands, signing a rugby ball uh, after an MLR game the following, the following season. That's mm -hmm. what we're looking to create. Right. Ultimately, I think I wanted to be able to wrap up this conversation here uh, with a few final thoughts from my side. And I honestly believe that world rugby themselves has just as much to gain from a hosted uh, event here in the U.S. as much as USA rugby and, of course, rugby in general has to offer. Because it is a very profitable market. And if world rugby has the ability to break into this market and finally find a foothold in U.S., it would broaden their horizons and it would grow the game and significantly increase their revenue streams, which is a focus for many unions around the world right now. So it seems like it should be a path that both should adopt. It's just with USA Rugby, we're not going to be there for 10 plus decades. And I think we can all agree there. So this, as much as we would like to be able to have it happen, it's not going to happen for quite some time. Well, rugby fans, once again, thank you for all the support you've given us here at the MLR Rants Podcast Show. So please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel, hit the bell icon for notifications, or follow us on social media. This has been presented by the MLR Fan Zone. Today, we have the special opportunity to be able to interview MLR player by way of Scotland and through St. Mary's College, 
Ladies to the MLR, we are talking about Sean Yakubian. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Ty. Uh, glad to be on here. Excellent. Well, you, of course, had an illustrious career that eventually brought you to the Raptors. Yeah. And uh, you had uh, joined them in the 2020 season. There are many people that are curious to be able to find out of what your experience was like there in the Raptors camp. And uh, we have Rob to be able to put you to the test here today in our interview section. So to be able to hand it over to him and to explain further, Rob, the floor is yours, my friend. First of all, welcome, Sean. We appreciate you coming on the show and join us on the MLR rant. Um, so I want to start off, as, as Ty mentioned, uh, you hail from Scotland. Um, yeah. You played, at, you're from Paisley, so um, Scotland, and then you played at University of Strathclyde, played for the Glasgow Hawks, U17, yeah. Scotland U20s. How did you make your way to St. Mary's College? Well, you're just trying to escape the Scottish weather. <laughs> uh, no, the, the, so my younger brother and I both um, came together at the same time. Uh, he went straight into his freshman year. I transferred from Strathclyde University. And the opportunity kind of came up that, you know, people were starting to go from the UK and whatnot to the States to play sports. A lot more kids were doing soccer where scholarships are available but obviously um for rugby that's not the case um so we we started to kind of look around at different universities where we importance was to get a good education but to also get a high level of rugby and my younger brother actually he went around with my parents across the states a bit to look at some schools and i wasn't able to make the trip so i kind of trusting him his call on it all uh, and he, they were at St. Mary's on the last day of their trip. And he, he said that was the place to go. He said there was a real brotherhood there. And, and he, he really liked it. So that's how it all ended up. So uh, while we're on the topic of, of on-field play, what, are, what do you think the strengths of your game are as a, as a player? How did you contribute? What do you see as your contributions to the Raptors organization and the team itself? Are you going to run um, past or kick on yeah. this one, Sean? Yeah. All right, I'll, uh, I'll run with it. Um, so, playing scrum half, I'm, I'm like I'm at 200 pounds, about 509, so a bit bigger, I guess, than a normal uh, kind of normal scrum half. I wasn't very fast, uh, kind of growing up, so I thought I had to try and be a bit bigger. So the physicality side is something I really like, you know, getting on amongst it and whatnot. Um, and then I'm just a hard worker. That's why I thought I brought a lot to the Raptors and worked really hard for the team at all points uh, to try and achieve what we were after. Now you've talked about coming to the United States, going to St. Mary's College and and, um, getting your education. Uh, Mm -hmm. With legal limits, obviously players have to find a way to supplement their income. What do you do away from the rugby pitch? So I'd started my master's um, at St. Mary's College as well in business analytics. So at the time um, when I was with the Raptors, the uh, free time afterwards, I try, I tried, but uh, to uh, study that, it's, um, it was a business analytics course, so coding and whatnot. Uh, so I tried to uh, kind of learn more about that. Um, right now, uh, hopefully, well, we'll, we'll see. Um, we don't know when we're going to be allowed to, to do some 
stuff again. Um, I'll try and get some form of work over the summer and just just see what happens when we're allowed out again. Yeah, and, and it's interesting you bring that up. Um, you know, many teams right now in this shutdown, uh, you hear rumblings that you're getting three and four and five players uh, actually getting together and working out. Uh, so um, run, pass, or kick, uh, you know, you're in a holding pattern in the moment. What is your next step as a rugby player in the MLR in the United States? Um, so right now, obviously, it's to get find a club after Raptors going, going out. Um, and that's the aim. I want to continue playing my rugby in the MLR. Um, I'm quite hopeful I'll be able to to get myself into a team uh, that same and then from there um, just work hard to try and get more minutes with the MLR teams but that's that's the aim right now and I'm, I'm sure it's the aim with a lot of the Raptors guys get find a team to play so um, this weigh your options quickly here as you approach the ruck uh, have you been contacted by either of the two expansion teams Dallas or Los Angeles I'm going to pass on that one. I, uh, I can't comment. I can't comment on anything at all um, with regards to that. Uh, we'll just in July when it's back to normal with MLR and um, everything will come out then. Typical Our, scrummy whipping on a tackle. Yeah, I was going to say. That was an effective sidestep there from Sean. <laughs> you don't see that too often. <laughs> so, you know, sticking with uh, the MLR, one of the things that we saw unique to this season was that uh, the uh, U23 Tasman Mako team came over and played uh, a couple of matches uh, against Houston and Seattle. Um, what are your thoughts on international club warm-up matches like that with MLR teams, um, and what would be an equivalent club in Scotland? Like if we want to see a Scottish club come over and play against a few of the MLR teams, what would be an equivalent club or equivalent level that you think would create a competitive atmosphere? Uh, match. Um, I think that's a, a quite a good idea for sure. It means that we're going to be playing up against some of the best. We want to be playing the best. If we're going to get better, you have to play against the best. So, that's good change up, you know, kind of learn about what it's like in the other countries as well. Um, in Scotland, they just started the last, I think it was last season, this season, a semi-professional type league with six teams. Um, and I, I do think maybe one of those six teams um, to play them would be a good match. Obviously, the two professional sides in Scotland, Glasgow and Edinburgh, they're very top teams, but... You know, some of their academy guys, for sure, and their senior players coming in. You know, we get a real competitive game there as well. Okay. Uh, so, again, run, pass, or kick. Think about this one. Yeah. Speaking of Dallas, what would you name the Dallas franchise if it was your choice? So, um, <laughs> I'm going to kick. I'm going to kick it back to – I'm going to kick it to you, Rolf. Uh, I'm going with Stampede. Yeah. Stampede. I like that. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's it. I like that as well. You know, it, it, it rings a Texas, and, you know, uh, 
you know, how important it is as a team is in rugby to, to play together and to run together. And I think that per, those two things fit exactly. perfectly well within, within that, uh, that name, that, uh, that brand. So um, any other thoughts yeah, from the big really guy good. or Ty? You agree? I'm, I'm a, I, I like, I like the stampede, but I'm, I like the Dallas bandits. Uh, I like the bandits as well. Yeah. I think it's probably one that hasn't been overused. Um, stampede has already got a history in, in rugby in the U S uh, I know I don't think it should be the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, that was that's no, no. That has to be like <laughs> right away. Like, why would you? And that, by the way, Sean, I don't know if you know, was a legitimate like uh, one that popped up, and, and people were saying that that's what the name should be. Like, why would you name that the same title? Yeah, I know your national team. I mean, sure, I know. You, you, know, said, yeah. you could say you played for the Eagles. <laughs> 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 so, uh, speaking of Eagles, and, and this is just off the cuff, um, you know, uh, there's obviously a residency requirement to be in the Eagle pool. Is is that something you see yourself pursuing? Uh, run, pass, or kick with that one, my friend. I'll run with this one. Um, so, come this August, uh, I'll have been in the country long enough to be eligible to play for the U.S., um, and that is something definitely that's very interesting uh, to me looking forward. But obviously, first things first, got to get into an MLR team and playing some rugby before I can start thinking about that. But, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Um, and pretty cool, quite exciting okay, going so, forward. Uh, getting back to the MLR, I'm glad you brought us back there. Um, what was <laughs> announced in April that your team, the Colorado Raptors, were pulling out of the MLR? Um how did you find out? How did they let you know uh, that um, they were pulling out that you would be looking for to apply your trade elsewhere? So run pass or kick with that one. Um, I'll run with it. Uh, so there's not, like I'll say, there's not a whole lot I can actually comment on that about how we were told and things like that. We were, the MLR gave, uh, communicated with us and told us what would be happening with the Dallas and um LA situation and how uh, that draft would work out, um, but the, the kind of what we were told is similar to you'll see it on the Instagram page for the Colorado Raptors. What they um, what they put up it explains it pretty well. If I'm being honest with you, what what their intentions were and, and things like that, and that's what we were told um, at the time. Obviously, an absolute gutter. We'd have loved to go out on a on a bang, um, we just started to pick up some good momentum. We got a good win against mm -hmm. Toronto, yeah. uh, and then it all comes down. So that's 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 what's happened. And it was a bitter end to that Nola game. Yeah. I tell you that was. Yeah. Oh man, I mean that would have easily <laughs> been a draw. I mean it was right under yeah, the no. yeah. final <laughs> minute. Uh, uh, it's uh, interesting that you brought that up, Ty, because as a NOLA fan, I was screaming and hollering yeah. at the end of that game. I was, uh, I, I, man, I, that was right on my side where I was as the announcer doing my thing, the most closest to me. Because something that's a little bit odd about the setup at Infinity Park is that as the announcer, you're behind the the rugby post in one half of the field. So yeah. when you're there, obviously, it's all in front of you, and that's when it was happening. 
I didn't see it. I don't know. I just remember uh, Luke going to the referee like, man, you know, you have been fantastic all season, but that's a call. And when, when Uncle like Fester Luke. walks up to you with that attitude, you usually take note. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, that, that, that idea and that match in Toronto and building up uh, momentum and starting to really play collectively um, in a more direct and, and, a, and, a, and a higher level. Uh, what was the atmosphere like in the changing room after that match? Um, how were how were how were your mates feeling um, when you guys came away? Obviously, you were happy, but what was the feeling in the room that day, and then leading into the week of training afterwards? I think it was just it was just buzzing. Um, we come away from Utah as well with a win. You know, we were on a good little run and we were just the boys were just excited you know really happy to get that win big win you know a team that's undefeated in the league uh to go, to go and put in a shift right. like that and get the w's is really cool really good and the guys were just so excited going into training the next week we were buzzed getting to go and i think it was actually that week that things started to go downhill with everything uh, in terms of um coronavirus and stuff and shutting down the league. Uh, so, yeah, we were just it was such a gutter when that came. But, you know, guys were really positive And before that, we were really positive, looking forward to the rest of the season. So so now having a, played a couple of years here in the MLR, having played in Scotland, come up through their system, the U-20s, of course, uh, if you could make a recommendation to USA Rugby on what they could do to grow the game and what – the MLR could do to grow the fan base. What would you suggest? Uh, I'll run with it. Yeah, I'll run. Uh, first of all, like Facebook groups, like what you guys have got up and running. That's a big thing for getting the MLR out there. Um, that's really important, just the commercial of it all. And I guess that's a, a thing that, as it's just as college rugby begins to grow, I guess they can start to try and look out to um, other countries and say, like saying if you want to experience an education, it's, it's a dream to be able to do that, it's get an education and play a very good level of rugby. Um, so it's just as the game starts to grow, hopefully the college game is getting bigger and bigger. You know, over the last few years, more teams have come into it, really into contention. Um, whereas before it was like, BYU, Cal, St. Mary's, and Life University. And then you've got Lindenwood, who are top class, and then <laughs> Navy and stuff as well. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, I've gone off a bit topic there. But um, I guess it's the commercial advertisement of it all. If you, if you can start to get people in the UK watching the MLR, that, that's just, that'd be huge. So I'm going to ask you, i got to ask you one last question. Gregor Townsend was a stellar player. I watched him, and I'm an old guy. I loved watching him play. What do you think of him uh, as a coach? You run past or kick with yeah. this one? I'll run. I I uh, I really like him. He's 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 like quite. He's really strong character. He really really expects high high quality from his guys at training, accuracy in every pass. You know, no laziness in passing and stuff. From from what I've heard from guys and. His goal, he's got, he's got a really good, 
great intentions of the team. He really loves coaching the team, it seems, and and he really has a goal that he wants to get, and I, I really like that about him. Cool, yeah, I think they're heading the, heading the right direction. They just got to put it all together. Yeah, so, hopefully after that World Cup. So Yeah, yeah. You know, it can only get a bit better. Yeah, unless we you're South Africa, you have work to do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, uh, Sean, I, I want to thank you uh, very much for, for joining us uh, tonight um, and being a part of our show, and, and we certainly appreciate it. And uh, I want to personally wish you all the best as you look to continue your rugby career here in the United States, applying your trade in the MLR, um, and uh, hopefully we'll see you uh, soon on the rugby pitch. Yeah, hopefully. I appreciate that, and thank you very much, guys, uh, for having me on. And as I said, for making this group, you know, it's really needed in this time to keep the MLR kind of family all together. And thank you to all the fans as well that are supporting it. So, guys. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean. So I think that that sums it up for today, guys. We will, of course, keep all of our viewers abreast of what information comes available. Please take the opportunity to share it with us if you learn anything that you feel is fitting. And we'll be happy to share it in further opportunities on the MLR Rant Podcast Show. I do hope, in the meantime, that you've enjoyed what we had to say. And if you didn't, let us know. <laughs> so, of course, we're here to be able to share what we love, which is the game of rugby. And I wanted to take the opportunity to thank Scott, to thank Rob, and to also thank Brandon, who was our first time here on the MLR Rant Podcast Show. However, there is one final order of business to be able to take care of, and that is to declare our winner for this episode of The Rant. It has been challenging, although Brandon came out hard and strong, and I uh, said straight up, I don't care about your time, referee. <laughs> so that, that earned him uh, a couple of yellows right there. Uh, so I think I can immediately disqualify the Welshman here. Uh, so that leaves Rob and Scott. Now, I do believe, Rob, you are um, at two wins. Is that right? Two, two wins. And then we have Scott at one. Current, current rant champion. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right, too. So I do think that you also got a yellow, though, uh, Rob, which would then mean that you get to keep that title for one more week, Scott. Yes. <laughs> well, well Rush fans, once again, thank Congratulations you for all the you've given us here uh, at the MLR well, Rant Podcast Show. So please consider subscribing to our YouTube there. channel, hit the bell icon for notifications, or follow us on social media. This has been presented by the MLR Fan Zone group on Facebook. If you're not already a member, Make sure you check the description at the bottom of this video to be able to learn on how you can follow us on our social media pages and, of course, on, on our Facebook groups. Let us know what you thought about this show. Let us know what you want us to talk about in the future. We'll be happy to tackle the tough topics. But for myself and the team, thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you for the next one. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.